You don't need to know me very well, and uh, I don't know that I don't think that anyone here knows me, but you don't know, need to know me very well to know that I'm a very distracted person. Uh, I always feel that my mind is firing up. So particularly in times that I'm most occupied or more concerned about a particular thing, it's not uncommon, unfortunately, because this continues to be a struggle for me, that we're sitting at the family table and my wife turning to me and say, Tiago, where are you? Or for the kids try to address me or ask me something and mom turns to them and say, your dad is not here. So I struggle daily with distraction. But the reason that I share with you my struggle, it's because I do believe that independently of the degree that you might experience it, that I believe that actually one of the characteristics of our society is of distraction. That in one way or another, we are prone to this temptation. You see, for example, we live surrounded by constant noise to the point that people are at ease with silence. Have you realized that? Generally speaking, in our society, people don't like silence because they are so used to noise. We are a society of movement and occupation. People are very busy and have a great difficulty in calming down, in sitting, in stop. That is the reason that it's so good that, for example, the church brings a different mindset and a different way of being. Even when you came here today, have you realized that the liturgy requires you to have moments of silence, to have moments in, in which we just sit and calm down? Those are didactical to us because we are prone to distraction because of movement and occupation. But also, we are a society of information like no other before us. But while we have more information than ever before in the history of mankind, we are also a society that lost the ability to think. Wisdom has become this forgotten virtue. Many have become just parrots of someone else's thoughts, unable to discuss with others, unable to understand others. Just think about how much politicized our society is and how many times even us within the body of Christ struggle with that. Wisdom has become, again, this forgotten virtue. Many times we can just become captive of kind of our own echo chambers that are nothing less, unfortunately, than of reverberation of ourselves. And you see, with so much noise and occupation and information, we are prone to be distracted with secondary things. You see, first, even as creatures in our own weakness, limited in space and time, we are tempted to focus only on the things that we can see in front of our eyes, of what we can perceive with our senses. But of course, our struggle is even highlighted or escalated if you think that we are sinful people, that we still struggle with sin, and that sin distorts reality, that our own sinfulness makes reality many times about ourselves, because we are by nature, and still as sinful people, selfish. 
You see, our sinfulness makes us prone to make secondary things, even if they are important, and bring them to occupy a place that they should never occupy. So bringing up secondary things and put them as primary, as our main focus, things that even if important, should not occupy the main stage of our lives. You see, this is what we call idolatry. Because idolatry is the substitution of God by something else or someone else. Instead of giving to God His right place to reign over our lives and our duty to worship Him, we are prone and tempted to worship other things. We are tempted to displace God of His right in order to place other things in His place. So brothers and sisters, although we are Christians, we are still tempted to sin. And we continue to sin because no one yet has achieved perfection in this world. You see, that's why self-examination is a Christian necessity. That's why before we partake the Lord's Supper, we are exhorted to examine ourselves before we partake. Because we are in a continual need for repentance. Brothers and sisters, all of us here, in one way or another, struggle against sin. In one way or another, tempted to distraction in this sense that I've argued. We are still tempted to idolatry. We are still tempted to substitute God and to displace God for other things or other people. And our text today teaches us about the way in which our sinfulness can distract us from the most important things. To the point that we might even miss the very things that we say are most important to us. Let me re repeat this because I think it's very important. We need to think about on how in our lives many times, because we are distracted in giving more importance to things than what they should have and as displacing God of his right place that many times we might even forget the things that we say that are most important to us so I invite you to open your Bibles in the gospel according to John on chapter 5 and, uh, and you should think and read the whole chapter as a unit although we are only going to read the first 18 verses but keep this in mind, you can go home and read the whole chapter and understand how they form, how it forms a unit in itself. But we're going to read just the first 18 chapters. So John chapter 5, 1 to 18. Let us pray before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, this is your word. The way, the word that you have inspired. The word that was written by men, but that were led by the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that is your word. So Father, as we read it, and as your word is being preached, help us to understand it in our minds, but even more, that we might receive it in our hearts. We want to know you more, we want to love you better. In Christ's name, amen. So John chapter 5, 1 to 18. 
After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he, he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Brothers and sisters, destruction can take many shapes and many forms. Let, so let us start in this way, which is one of the ways that we can be distracted is in the way that we read the Bible. So we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that men were those who have actually penned the text, but that these men have been inspired and led by the Holy Spirit to the point that we can properly say that although these words were written by men, they are actually the Word of God. It's the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God. That it is right in all that it says. So the purpose when we approach the Word of God is that the Word of God defines our agenda. We should seek to approach the text not to read what we want to read in it, not to come and pull out the things that are more interesting to us, but to let God Himself set the agenda for us instead of us bringing our agenda to the text. So before we move forward, I would invite you just to turn your Bibles to chapter 20 of John, of the Gospel of John. So John 20, let us just read two verses and, bring, and then bring those two verses to help us interpret 
the text that we have just read. Because have in mind, we just read 18 verses from a whole gospel. Okay, it's right in the middle. So we need to understand what is this book about. And actually the evangelist tells us very explicitly why he wrote this book. So we read in John 20, verses 30 and 31. And so the evangelist says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. So you see, the Gospel of John teaches us many things. There are many lessons that we can take out of the text. But we need to be sure of one thing. The Gospel of, of John is primarily, first and foremost, about Jesus. Was written to tell us about this man, of what he did, and who he is. And it was written, we can say, with apologetic purpose. Right? So John tells us that Jesus did many other signs, but these were written so that you might believe. So when we read the Gospel of John, we know that John is first and foremost concerned in telling us what Jesus did, who Jesus is, in convincing people to believe in this Jesus, that He is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the main purpose. So we have three points for our sermon today that I believe that are the structure of the whole Gospel of John and the structure of the text that we just read. So number one, what Jesus does. So the healing of, the, of this invalid on the Sabbath. Number two, who Jesus is. And number three, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ, the Son of God. So number one, what Jesus does. Number two, who Jesus is. And number three, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So let us start with number one, what Jesus did. Let me ask you this. If you are a witness, and this is very difficult to do, because we already know what this text means, because as the evangelist is writing this episode, he is already being selective in what he let us know. He's not telling us everything that he saw. He has a very, uh, very narrow purpose, and so he's only telling us what he believes that we need to know, because he's trying to convince us. But if I would ask you this, if you were a witness of this episode, if you were there with Jesus, what would you see? Because this is one of the things that we have in contrast in this text. We have the reality of what Jesus did, and the most important thing of what Jesus did, and what it meant, but we have also the contrast of how people were seeing what was going on. So people giving different meanings and evaluating things in a different way. So what is the filter that I would ask you? What is the filter that mediates your understanding and evaluation of the world? What are the things that call your attention? What are the things that are most important to you? So in this text we have a clash between the Jews 
in the reality that the Gospel of John is presenting to us. And see verse 9, because in verse 9, John gives us a clue which explains the reason of the conflict that will follow. In verse 9, we read this. Now, that day, so the day that Jesus healed that man, was the Sabbath. So right after this man is healed, the invalid picks up his bed that he no longer needs and walks. And we do not know how long it took, but at some point, some Jewish leaders come and ask and for some explanations. See verse 10. So we read, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, it is important for you to understand what the Jews are doing here. These Jewish leaders, they are not saying explicitly that the Mosaic law said that someone could not take his bed after being healed and bring it home. What actually the Jews are referring to, and this is very important as we understand this text, is that they are mentioning their oral traditions. They are not quoting the Mosaic Law. They are not quoting the Bible. They are quoting their oral traditions that were their own interpretation of what God had said. So the Sabbath had been commended by God and had been given from God as a gift. But we don't read in any part of the Mosaic Law that someone cannot pick up something and bring it home. But actually, if we read what we call the Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral traditions that we still have recorded in writing today, this is what we read. At some point, we read this on the Mishnah. The categories of acts of labor prohibited on the Sabbath are 40 less one. And then we have a list of 38 things that the Jews were forbidden to do on the Sabbath. And then we read on point number 39. He who transports an object from one domain to another. Okay? Know this very carefully. Jesus is not breaking the Sabbath. That would be a denial of what He said that He was up to. Because He said, I came to fulfill all the law. If Jesus had broke the Sabbath, He did not fulfill all the law, He cannot be our Savior. What the Jews are quoting is their oral traditions in order to accuse this man of being in sin. So the Jews refer to their own law. But as a consequence of that, see verse 16, John 5 again, John 5, 16. Because it tells us that this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, and now we have this clash of worldviews. This clash of what are the things that call your attention? What are the things that you believe are most important? Because did you notice what just happened with these Jewish leaders here? The Jewish leaders see this episode in a very particular way on the basis of the things that they value the most. 
Because the things that you value the most are the things by which we see the world. And that mediate and lead us and motivate in terms of our actions. You see, they are so focused on their man-made laws that they miss the most important thing. That in their sinfulness, they are distracted to see what is actually self-evident. Isn't it self-evident for us? You see, what was self-evident, a man who had been paralyzed for 39 years is now walking right in front of their eyes. But this that is self-evident becomes hidden to their eyes because they are blind by their unbelief. They can only see and focus on the idol that they have created, their traditions, and forgot God whom they say they worship and obey. And by focusing on the wrong things, they were missing the Messiah in whom they could have eternal life. Do you understand this? Just put yourselves in the shoes of those Jewish leaders. I am convinced that if you would approach them and ask them, what is your greatest hope? At least some of them would say, we are waiting for the Messiah to come. But the Messiah is right before their eyes. The same Messiah that they say, that they hope, is right before their eyes and just healed that paralyzed man. And the only thing that they can see is a man breaking their traditions. So do you see the sad irony here? Our sinfulness can distract us from the most important things to the point that we might even miss the very things that we say are most important to us. Jesus had just healed a man, but they are concerned with their man-made rules. And they miss even the very purpose of the Sabbath which they say that they want to protect. They are so focused on the rules that they miss the very reason that Sabbath had been given to them. The Sabbath was given to them and to us as a created order, as we read in Genesis 2, for us to enjoy a period of rest and of worship. That time... And this time, as we gather together, we come here to celebrate our salvation. That is the reason that God gives us the Lord's Day. So that we can put the other things aside. And we can come together and be focused on the main and most important thing. Which is, as a people of God, to worship Him. And instead of being focused and in awe and in worship because God had just healed the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, they are focused on man-made traditions, man-made rules about the Sabbath. Missing even why the Sabbath has been given to them. Again, do you see the sad irony here? The Jews confessed to believe in God and the scriptures. The Jews sought salvation in a firm that wanted to obey God. Actually, as we see here, this is where 
was the way that they would prove their willingness to obey God in having all these rules so that they could not miss anything. They were seeking and hoping for the promised Messiah. But in their unbelief, they missed the most important things. And brothers and sisters, we must realize that unwillingly we might do the same. So I would ask you, are there ways in which you betray the faith you profess? Are there ways in which we let ourselves be distracted by secondary things to the point that we miss the most important? You see, sin blinds people. The Jewish leaders were so blind that they could only see the fact that that man was carrying a bat on the Sabbath while missing the most important thing that a paralyzed man had just been healed and that proved that Jesus was the Messiah that they, they were waiting for. So I would ask you again, are there ways in which, for example, as a church, we preach a distorted gospel or are distracted for, from our main mission? You see, it can be still by man-made rules that we create which are imposed upon people if they were a commandment of God. But you see, it can be also in other more subtle ways. It might be traditions that we have, either of style or culture or way of doing things, that we might elevate to the point that it becomes part of the identity of the church and keep those who do not fit the mold out. It can be, for example, our political positions. It can be, for example, the ways in which we interpreted the last year and a half in the pandemic. You might have very strong opinions. You might have very strong positions. But if you elevate those things and make those things primary, you are putting those things there as the basis of the unity of the church instead of what is most important. That should be Christ and Him alone and the gospel. Do you see there are very subtle ways? And remember that sin is deceitful. If it was easy for us to discern, we would never sin. So we need to continually examine ourselves and see in our hearts to see if we are still continuing to focus on the most important things. But you see, it can happen also at a personal level. If I would ask you, what are the most important things in this world for you right now? What makes you get up in the morning? What are the things that are exciting for you in life now? Examine, for example, your conversations. Because if our conversations reveal our hearts, as Scripture says that they do, then the things that you most talk about reveals the things that you value the most. Or take, for example, social media. If you are active on social media, what does your post say about you and what you believe? Are you being wise in the way that you communicate? If someone evaluates your faith on the basis of your posts, what gospel are they receiving? Are you preaching Christ and Him alone? Or Christ and something else? So what Jesus did, he healed a man that was paralyzed for 39 years. 
the issue here is not that a man was breaking the Sabbath. It was that Jesus, as the Messiah, had just healed that invalid. Number two, who Jesus is. See verse 17. We read this, But Jesus answered, My Father is working until now, and I am working. It's very interesting because the text says that Jesus is answering them. Jesus answers their objection in what at first sight might sound strange, right? Why is Jesus saying that? The Jews were questioning what Jesus did because it was the Sabbath and they were accusing Jesus of commanding that man to break the Sabbath by carrying his bed. And what Jesus has to offer them is by telling them, my father is working until now and I am working. So first, let me start to say so that you can understand what Jesus is not saying. Because many times we can understand things better if we start by saying what they are not and then what they are. What Jesus is not saying, and we have already made this point, but we need to affirm it again. Jesus is not saying that because I am God, I'm above the Sabbath. That's not what Jesus is saying. Or because I am God, I can break the Sabbath. There's nothing of what Jesus is saying. That's not the point. Instead, I want you to pay close attention. Because what Jesus is doing is that he is shifting their attention from their idols to, them, to himself, from their lies to truth. The, Jesus are focused on their, the Jews are focused on their man-made regulations. And what Jesus is doing is refocusing their attention. It's not about that. It is about me. You are focusing on those things. But the issue is me and what I did and who I am. What Jesus had done proved that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. What could be more important than that? The Sabbath regulations were not the issue at hand. So Jesus refuses to play along with their focus. Jesus is, refuses himself to discuss the issue of the Sabbath because the issue at hand is him. And many times we can do this also. We can be so interested in our theological points or theological discussions. Do not forget what is most important, that we preach Christ and him crucified. That's the point. Never forget that. And actually, that's what Jesus is going to say in his speech afterwards. If you read verses 19 and following, let me just read some portions of it. Because it comes right after this episode when Jesus speaks to them. If you see verse 19, it starts by saying, So Jesus said to them, and now he is teaching them on the outcome of that episode. See verse 19 and see how Jesus is emphasizing over and over again what is most important. Verse 19, look, look at the text. Whatever the Father does, the Son does alike. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. 
Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. See verse 26 again. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. So now you can understand better what Jesus means when He says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. He is identifying Himself with God. You see, the Jews understood this immediately and very clearly. They understood the point. That's why the conflict with the Jews escalated immediately. Can you see that? See, for example, verse 16. On verse 16, why are the Jews persecuting Jesus? Because he was breaking, supposedly on their view, he was breaking the Sabbath, right? But what about on verse 18 now, after Jesus answers them? They clearly understood it, because this is what we read. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. There's an escalation. They are persecuting Jesus. Now they, are, they want all the more to kill him. Now it gives us the reasons. And the reasons are these. Because number one, not only he was breaking the Sabbath, and I'm just reading verse 18, but number two, and most important in their view, he was even calling God his own father. And what did this mean for them? See the end of verse 18? Making himself equal to God. This was the point. That's why Jesus answers that way. Do you remember the main accusation for Jesus' crucifixion? And as you read the Gospel of John, you can read also in John 10, 33, 36, and then we read in chapter 19, verse 7, in which the Jews are accusing Jesus. We have a law, and according to that law, He ought to die, because He has made Himself the Son of God. Now, brothers and, and sisters, just think about this. How could they be so right and so wrong at the same time? You see, the Jews did not reject Jesus because they misinterpreted what Jesus said. They clearly understood what Jesus said. The Jews reject Jesus because of their unbelief. And so it is today. And it is the reason why we need point number three. Because for the in the Gospel of John, it is self-evident. Jesus had cured this man that had been an invalid for 38 years. Therefore, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It was a clear cut. But for those Jews, Jesus was just but a man. He was breaking the law. And therefore, He was making Himself also equal to God. Therefore, He deserved to die. You see the two completely different interpretations? So it is today the same that it was back then. A so needed exhortation. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe in Him so that you might have life. You see, on the one hand, we can be distracted with things that are exciting to us. 
we can be excited at this point and make that the main thing of our lives, either, either if it is career or family or pleasure or health or wealth. You see, the exciting things in this world might be distracting you from what is more important. But it might be also, on another hand, for example, by suffering or trial. You see, suffering can be terrible and sometimes it blinds us to the point that we cannot see beyond the pain that we feel. Have you ever experienced that? That sometimes our suffering is such... And uh, you see, the, 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 the usual experience with suffering is that suffering kind of narrows our vision to the point that as suffering grows, our temptation is becoming more and more and more and more narrow to the point that it might be just about our suffering in ourselves. And we might lose what is more important. So I would ask you, brothers and sisters, is it possible that today excitement, suffering, or any other reason is distracting you from what is more important? Is anything at this point distracting you from the fact that your greatest need is to have Jesus in your life, is to believe in Him, to put all your trust in Him, to have all your hope in Him and nothing in this world, that that is your greatest need? Is anything distracting you at this point? You see, the Jews were so concerned with their religion and their idols. So convinced that they were fighting for God while missing the very God that they affirmed to worship. So I exhort you today, again, point number three, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And let me say, after focusing on the Jews' misunderstandings, let us take now, in the end, a step back and go to the beginning of chapter 5. So please come with me, look at the text in the beginning of chapter 5. The chapter starts by telling us that Jesus was in Jerusalem during the time of a feast, that he was inside the city at a pool called Bethesda, near one of the gates, that gate was called the Sheep Gate. And it seems that there was a group of sick people gathering near the pool in hope of being healed. And of the group, John highlights this particular man who had been there for a long time. Now I want you to notice something about this man. Because there are more things that we don't know about him than the things that we actually know about him. And this is an important thing. As you read a narrative, as someone tells a story, or actually as someone recounts history, what does he do? He needs to be selective, right? So we only pick up the things that we think are more important about the story, and we want the readers to know. So it's very interesting that the Gospel of John leaves out the things that perhaps we thought were essential for us to know about this man. It's very interesting. We don't know his name. We do not know his family. We do not know how he got sick or injured. And we do not even know what injury or sickness he had. We just know that he was an invalid. That he could not walk. But John wants us to know this. John wants us to know how long he had been sick. 
38 years. You see, 38 years was more than many people would live in ancient times. And 38 years points to the fact that that man was truly an invalid. That that man already sought the cure for his problem. That this man, after 38 years, even goes to a pool, not even having the means to do what it would take for him to be healed in his mind. You see, just, just keep in mind how hopeless this man was. You see, in that society, not being able to walk meant literally living out of scraps. There was no social security at that time, no food stamps, no food programs. He is useless, unable to provide even for the most basic needs for himself. Can you imagine? 38 years that man has been without hope. And then what do we have in the text? Jesus appears on the scene. It's a clear cut. Before Jesus and after Jesus. Before Jesus is no hope. But after Jesus, this is what we read. In verse 6, Jesus asks him, Do you want to be healed? And actually the text tells us that Jesus knew that he was there for a long time. Do you want to be healed? And in a sentence, just one sentence, when Jesus says, verse 8, Get up, take up your bed and walk. The invalid was cured. Can you see that? See it in the text, please. Verse 9, what do we read? At once the man was healed and he took his bed and walked. Wow! This is what the Jewish leaders are missing. What should surprise the Jews was not that that man was carrying a bed. What should amaze them is that a man that couldn't walk for 38 years is now walking. Can you understand that? This, this is pretty amazing. They should not miss this. You see, this is what John calls a sign. Because Jesus was doing all those signs as a proof, as a seal, that He was who He claimed to be, the Son of God. Do you understand that? But interestingly also, this was supposed to be a sign for that man. Do you see that the relationship of Jesus with that man does not end when that man is healed? Can you see in verse 14? It says that afterwards, Jesus finds him in the temple. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse might happen to you. So Jesus had cured that man. But what we learn is that, is that his physical healing was not his greatest need. Now he could walk. But the reality of his heart was still the same. He was a sinner. Jesus' healing of the man's body was a sign for the man also. So I would ask you also, thinking about this man, his hopelessness, and the fact that Jesus comes, and there is a clear cut in his life, I would ask you, wasn't 
in this way also that the Lord, our God, found us? Let me just bring you to mind Ephesians chapter 2 when we read in the first verse, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And then what do we read in verse 4? A clear cut. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, He saved us by grace. Wasn't this the way that the Lord found us? Without hope, without being able to turn our lives around, being condemned before God, being enslaved to sin, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. By grace we have been saved. You see, Jesus had cured that man, but His physical healing was not His greatest need. You see, you might think and might be tempted to think that the main problem of that man by the pool was the fact that he couldn't walk. But don't get distracted. The man's main problem was that he was dead in his sins. And maybe you are here today and you are not a Christian. And in your life, you might have been thinking so far that the most important things in your life and the most important problems in your life have to do with your health or wealth or suffering that you are feeling at this point. And you see, we do recognize as Christians there is suffering in this world. There are many things that tempt us. But what I want to tell you today is that independently of what you are experiencing at this point, you can be distracted with things that just amaze you. Either your career, or pleasure, or health, or wealth. You might be distracted now thinking that your greatest problem, it's a health problem, is the fact that you lack something. But let me tell you today, your greatest need, is actually the fact that one day, soon or later, you will have to face God and be accountable to Him. And that unless you are in Christ and believe in Christ, you will be condemned because no one is able to fulfill what Jesus told this man to do, which was sin no more. And if you sin and you do, you will be accountable to God. That's your greatest need. You can evaluate many other things as important, but this is the most and crucial question that you should ask to yourself. When you stand before God after you end your life on this earth, how will you stand? Will you stand condemned as a sinner? Or were you saved, not because of something that you have done, but because of what Jesus had done? What Jesus did. And take this text as a sign to you also, that the way that Jesus healed this man physically, 
He is able to do spiritually. And do because He did for us and for those who repent and believe what we could never do for ourselves. Which is to obey God in every way. But He did more. Because He died on the place of those who repent and believe. So the message is for you also. Jesus is the thing that you need and the person you need the most. But Christians, this is also a truth that you need to remember. Don't get distracted, Christian. In the midst of your challenges and sufferings in this life, do not turn to things that cannot satisfy. Don't put your trust in this world. Don't get distracted, Christian. Our main problem continues to be our sin. And our greatest need and our greatest hope continues to be the same. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. He is our Savior and Redeemer. He is our God whom we worship. So this is the final exhortation. The words that we find in Hebrews. Chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. That might be an exhortation for us also. So that we might not be distracted. And might be focused in what is more important. So Christian. Hear the exhortation from God. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christian, look to Jesus. We worship Him and we expect for His return. Because He is our hope, the most important thing. To Him be all the glory. And my God help us as a church also to encourage each other. So that even in the challenges that we face as a local church, we might also and always come back to the most important thing is that we preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the reason why we are together. That's the reason why so many people from different nations, from different backgrounds, are all sitting here today. Because we have a common hope and a common Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.